If you have your copy of the Word of God, I want to invite you to open up to Psalm 95. The title of the message this morning is The Reason We Gather. But before we read the text, let us, uh, let us pray together. Our Father, You are holy, You are righteous, and You are just, and You're good, and You're loving, and You desire to work in and through our lives. And so, Lord, as we gather this morning, we have praised you and we want to continue to praise you. Would you lift our hearts heavenward? Would you peer into our souls by your Holy Spirit? And would you unwrap the sin that's tangled up within us? Strengthen us to confess it before you and to be rid of it? And God, would you fill our hearts and our minds with joy and jubilation? Because we have confidence that you are a glorious and good God. And so speak to us, Father, by your Holy Spirit, through your word, as we honor and exalt your name today. And now, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As Mr. Al said earlier, the theme of the text today is sing to the Lord. And this is one of the things that we do when we gather on Sunday mornings, isn't it? We sing to the Lord. And there are many things going through our minds as we gather to worship each Sunday. All of us have various circumstances that shape our lives, and often those circumstances of our life affect our moods and our temperament. And unfortunately, oftentimes those circumstances extend into our very gathering for worship of God. But this morning, I think this psalm, encur- this psalm encourages us to allow our worship to be informed by our confidence in God and not by our circumstances. And so what I hope for us to see this morning is that our worship of God should arise from confidence in God, not in the circumstances of our lives. Let's look at the text to see how that's spoken of and shown to us in Psalm 95. Follow along as I read. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For he is the Lord. For he the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. 
And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work for 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. This is a congregational psalm. It's a psalm that begins with an entreaty. Let us come. It's inviting us corporately to worship God through rejoicing. And we see this in verses 1 through 5. The invitation, in fact, is extended to come three times in this psalm. Verse 1, he says, O come. Verse uh, verse 2, let us come into his presence. In verse 6, O come, let us worship and bow down. The language and the tone of this psalm in verses 1 through 7 is that of encouragement and, and exhortation. The first time that he invites us to come, in verse 1, it's, it's as if he's saying, come on, let us look. Come on, let us sing. Come on, together. Let's gather together. It's this exhortation to come along with me as we go to the house of the Lord and as we go to worship him. Oh, come, come on, let us sing to the Lord. Let us sing for joy. Let us make, in fact, a joyful noise. Let us shout joyfully. To him with songs of praise. I love the way the women of Uganda praise God when they're in the midst of a corporate worship gathering. Michelle, you're probably the only other one in here uh, this morning. No, Dr. David's been there and he's heard it. Can you give us an illustration? I'm just joking. That's a teaser, folks. If you want to hear how the women of Uganda praise God and shout joyfully, you've got to come with us to Uganda, all right? It's, it's, such, a, it's, it's such a blessing to hear them shout joyfully and make a joyful noise to the Lord. It, it's, it's wonderful to hear them sing praise to God. I think most often when we gather before the Lord to worship Him, we're, I think we're too reserved, Maybe we're thinking about what, what others might think about us as we're gathering to worship. We forget that, that we're here to worship God publicly, and we go to this inward place of reflection oftentimes. Or at least I'm tempted to do that sometimes. Maybe we, maybe we don't know what to do. Maybe we need permission. Listen, it's okay to raise your hands. It's okay to make a joyful noise to God. It's okay to shout. It's okay to sing to him and to praise him for his glorious goodness. And if you're worried about being disruptive to the order of worship, I want to remove all concern. I don't think any of us in here this morning are too close to being disruptive to the flow and the order of our worship service. So feel free. Feel free to praise God, to sing joyfully, to worship Him. Don't fear what others might think of you. Don't think that you're being irreverent. It's not. The Bible says it's okay to shout joyfully to God, to be jubilant, to come into His presence with exaltation and to make a loud noise in His presence. And so He says there, 
let us make a joyful noise to him. It doesn't say an on-key noise, but it says a joyful noise to him, right? With songs of praise. We come and we sing songs of praise. That is the melody and the harmony of musicians, even like this morning, that are beautifully orchestrating the words and the, and the, the flow of the song so that, that they lead us in praising God vocally. So we use our mouths to sing praise to God. So it's okay to be enthusiastic and to be jubilant in our worship. You see, we're to come before God with rejoicing. We are to enter his presence, verse 2, with thanksgiving. You see, here's the thing. Worship isn't about you. It's about God. Worship isn't about what we get out of the morning. Worship is about what we give to God. If worship is about you, then you're worshiping the wrong thing. So here's the question. We come before him with thanksgiving and praise. What are we to thank him for? It says in verse 1, he is the rock of our salvation. Listen, the Psalms are, are filled with this claim. The Lord God is the rock of salvation for his people. Throughout scripture, God is referred to as our rock. Listen to these verses. Jot down the reference. Go back and look it up. And then look in a concordance and just, well, use Google for your concordance if you want. And just type in, God is our rock. And see how many places throughout scripture it comes up to say that God is our rock. There is none, uh, 1 Samuel 2.2, 2, there is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Our Isaiah 30.29 calls God the rock of Israel. 2 Samuel 22.47, the Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. In the New Testament, Romans 9.33, as it is written, behold, I'm laying in Zion a, st- a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Or Mark 12.10. Have you not read the scripture? Jesus says. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Or Matthew 16.18, where Jesus speaks and addresses Peter after Peter has made the good confession, saying, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replies to Peter and says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, on this confession, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What reason do we have to be thankful, church? I'll tell you the reason. Jesus is the rock of our salvation. He is the rock. He has saved us by triumphing over death and conquering sin. And we have been delivered from bondage to sin and brought into the kingdom, transferred into the kingdom of God. And so we're to shout joyfully, right? This causes us to make a joyful noise. We were once headed to hell, but he has saved us. He has brought us out of darkness and and brought us into his marvelous light. He has exercised grace and mercy toward us, even though we did not deserve it. You see, every one of us are on a path to hell. And it's only by the grace of Christ that we have been saved and redeemed 
It's only by his death on the cross that we have salvation. And so we shout joyfully. We make a joyful noise. Can you think of a place in Scripture where Jesus confronts the religious leaders when they're trying to silence those who are praising and worshiping him? How about on the triumphal entry when he's heading to the cross? And he's descending the Mount of Olives. Luke 19, 28 through 40 gives us that, that account. But you know what happened? The people began lining the road, and they began laying their coats out on the road. And it says that in the midst of them doing that, the whole multitude with his disciples began to praise God, shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. They were praising him, ascribing worship to him, saying that he is the king. And the religious leader said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Make them quit praising you. And you know what Jesus' reply was? If they don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. We have been created to praise God. We have been created to sing joyfully, to shout joyfully before God. Let us praise him for Jesus is the rock of our salvation. And we have a second reason to praise him with rejoicing. Uh, We have a second reason to praise him because of the praising him for rejoicing. And and that is that in verses 3 and 5, he says we are to see his sovereignty as creator. Look at what he says in verses 3 through 5. That he is a great God. That he is king above all gods. That he holds the depths of the sea in his hand. And the heights of the mountains are in his hand. The sea is his. He shapes the world with his hands. Listen, we can have confidence in God as the creator who holds all things together by his word and his power. You see, this psalm implies what the New Testament spells out and teaches us. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says, for, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And listen, speaking of Christ... And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Listen, there is nothing. This is our confidence in God. There is nothing, believer, that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the truth that Paul proclaims over and over again throughout the New Testament, that the New Testament resoundingly speaks and testifies to us. Even look in Romans 8, 38 and 39. Write it down and go look later and see what that passage testifies. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we see his sovereignty as creator, and we worship him through rejoicing. We come into his presence shouting joyfully, worshiping him. But secondly, we come to him and we worship God through reverence. Through reverence. We see this in verses 6 and 7. He says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Now, this come is come in. It's the invitation to enter into the tabernacle. Come into the very presence. Enter the presence, the, the indwelling place of God. And so for Israel, that would be the tabernacle. You see, the miracle of our salvation is that because of Christ on the cross, the Holy Spirit of God now dwells within every believer. And so we have unlimited access to the holy God of all creation. And so he says, come in, oh, come, let us worship and bow down and kneel. Those three verbs here in this psalm 
of verse 6 point us to a lowering of ourselves before the holy, mighty God. The English word for worship, it means to ascribe worth and glory due to God's name. It literally, in English, could be called worthship. But the standard word for worship in the Hebrew deals with prostrating oneself before God, making oneself low. And so here's what we're to do. We are to bow down before him. Look at what the psalmist says there in verse 6. Let us kneel before him. I don't think this psalm is necessarily describing a liturgy of how we should pattern our worship every time we come to meet with God. But instead, I think what it is telling us is that when we're in God's presence, there's a lowliness that we should and must demonstrate. You see, worship is about glorifying God. It has to do with making much of Him. And so we prostrate ourselves before the Lord. We kneel down before Him. We bow in His presence. We humble ourselves. You know, this might look differently in public worship. It might look like we approach the altar or the steps and and we we prostrate ourselves before the Lord. That might happen during music. That might happen after in in response to, to God's Word being preached It might look like we kneel down right where we are and turn around and use our seat as a prayer bench. Don't be ashamed. Follow as God leads you. Don't be afraid to humble yourselves before the Lord. We can't be ashamed of doing that. This psalmist says, Oh, come as we enter His presence. Get the picture. We, We prostrate ourselves before Him. We bow down. We kneel before the Lord, our Maker. You know, so many churches focus on entertainment in the musical worship hour, even during the preaching. And I think this misses, I don't don't think it does, it misses the point of worship completely. I think musical worship is is important, should be done well. I think preaching is important and, and should be done well to keep attention. But it all should point to the glory of God. It points to what we are to come and to give God, our worship is not centered in what we get out of church. Our worship is centered on what we come and give to God so that we make much of him. Worship is about surrender. You see, in worship, we're turning our lives over to him for he is our maker, right? This is relational. It implies relationship. He is the one who created us. He's our God. Verse seven Right? For He is our God. For this reason, we have confidence in God, which inspires our worship of God. So we worship through rejoicing and we worship through reverence. We should see His sufficiency as our shepherd in verse 7. He says, We are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. We know that sheep are some of the dumbest animals, right? They, they need a shepherd. Now, I'm, I'm not saying anything about anyone in here this morning. So don't leave and say, the pastor called me dumb this morning. That's not what happened. But sheep go astray, don't they? They do. They go astray. They, they need a shepherd to guide them, to direct them. Where in Scripture do we find the most notable portrait of God as shepherd? 
In the New Testament, we would point to Christ. In the Old Testament, we would look at Psalm 23, right? In Psalm 23, we, we read, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Right? He's the one who leads us. He directs us. He comforts us with his rod and his staff. They, they comfort me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This psalm points us to see that we don't fear. We can have confidence that God is the Lord, is the good shepherd. And in the New Testament, Jesus makes this very claim in John. In John ten eleven, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And again, in John ten fourteen, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. There's an intimate knowledge that we're talking about. He is our God. We are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. We belong to Him. He is our God. He is our maker. John ten twenty eight. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one, listen, will snatch them out of my hand. In verse 29, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. You see the picture here? We are the sheep of His hand. There is confidence and trust and hope in this great God. We can take confidence and hope knowing that he is the one who is in control of all things and working all things in our lives for our good and for his glory. Do you know this morning that he's good? That he's the good shepherd? It's for this reason that we have confidence to worship him All things in our lives are ultimately working out for our good and for His glory. Even difficult seasons in life, from from job loss to trials and afflictions to stressors to, to finances to difficult family issues, the list could go on and on. But remember this, believer. The Good Shepherd is not only aware of all the things in your life, He's leading you through them. He hasn't left you. God holds them in his hands. Jesus is the good shepherd who leads us and keeps us. His rod and staff, they comfort us. With his rod, he protects us. With his crook, he pulls us back from danger. He keeps us when we're straying. He restores our soul. You see, Jesus is the good shepherd. And so our praise of God should arise from confidence in God, not the circumstances of our lives. Shout joyfully. Make a joyful noise before him. Bow. Humble ourselves, saying, God, you you know. You know, I don't. You know. There's a third reason or point in our worship. That is, we're to worship God through obedience. Hearing is a primary act of worship. I know hearing involves us sitting and not saying much. Hearing involves being still and quiet before the Lord. But listen, this is an action. It's an action in Scripture. 
Listen to what he says at the last, ver- last line of verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice. You see, hearing involves doing. In connection with the metaphor of Jesus, the shepherd, John chapter 10. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. You see, hearing implies that we're going to follow, that we're going to listen, and he's going to lead us. And so get this picture. The worshiper that's singing this psalm, Psalm 95, this worshiper would be prompted to ask this question, am I hearing obediently? Who am I hearing? This is a question that we should be asking of ourselves. And this is a warning to God's people. When the circumstances of life threaten us we're not to turn away from god questioning where he is but we're to turn to god asking how he is god how are you leading me through this trial through this affliction through this sickness god how are you leading me in the midst of losing a job or in the midst of a big transition in life you see we learn to listen today Today, if you hear his voice, he says, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness. Listen, hearing his voice guards us against hardened hearts. When we listen for the voice of God, our hearts remain soft. This refers us back to Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, and in Numbers chapter 20. The children of Israel were being led through the wilderness to the promised land. And in the midst of the journey, they begin questioning God. The word Mirabah means dispute. And the word Masa means testing. And so they were disputing with God and they were testing God. And the ultimate question they pose is found in verse 7 of Exodus 17. Listen. And he called the name of that place, Moses called the name of that place Masa and Meribah. Because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? You see, they had allowed their circumstances to overshadow their faith in God. Verse 10 says, for 40 years, I loathed that generation. In other words, I was continually disgusted by their continual rebellion against me. They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. You see, they were sheep who refused to follow their shepherd. But listen, the journey that they were on was part of their preparation for entering into the promised land. They had seen God work wonders They had seen God bring plagues upon the Egyptians and ultimately deliver them out of Egypt. They had gotten to the the line of the Red Sea and they had seen God part the waters and they walked through on dry ground and as the the enemies, Egypt, uh, Pharaoh's army is coming at them, they see the waters crush back over them and drown the Egyptian army. They've seen God provide for them in bread manna they've seen god provide water for them god has sustained them in in all these miraculous ways but in spite of all of god's miraculous deeds they refused to fully rely on god and you know what they did they hardened their hearts toward him 
and they rebelled against him. Brothers and sisters, when we don't listen to God, when we harden our hearts toward him, we're in danger. We're in danger of rejecting Christ. The warning for us this morning is to listen and to obey God. You see, right hearing prevents rigid hearts, prevents hardened hearts. And the result for them is they were banned from the promised land, from entering into God's rest. Look at verse 11. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. You see, entering the promised land for Israel meant going into the land and settling the land, enjoying rest, enjoying peace, enjoying deliverance from their enemies. But you see, the promised rest of this psalm is not ultimately entering into the land of Canaan. The promised rest of this psalm is ultimately God's salvation. In Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, the preacher delivers a sermon that's based on Psalm 95. And he says in verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. And then verse 12 of chapter 3 in Hebrews, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you with an evil heart, an unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another. This is the the exhortation. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And in chapter 4, verse 8, he says this, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore then strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Listen. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. God calls us to hear, to listen, to follow Him. The rest that's promised for the believer is the finished work of Christ's redemption. That's our salvation. And the heart of the matter boils down to our hearing and obeying. Our worship, get this, our worship is about bending our will to His as he reveals it to us, and then following his lead as the shepherd. And so the question I want to ask us this morning, are you surrendered? Are you ready, like Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, here am I, send me. That may, that may involve some uncomfortable life changes. Are you ready to follow the good shepherd through the pasture that he's leading you? Are you worshiping God through rejoicing? Are you worshiping God through reverence? And are you worshiping God through obedience? Is there something God is commanding of you in your life that you are refusing to walk in obedience to? And if there is, I want to exhort you and challenge you today. Today, if you hear his voice, don't doubt God. Follow him. 
follow his lead, follow the good shepherd. You see, our worship of God must arise from confidence in God, not the circumstances of our lives. I want to invite you to pray with me this morning as we close our time together. And as you pray, I want you to think about God's goodness in your life, the fact that Jesus is the good shepherd. Maybe there's some here this morning who've never confessed Christ as Lord. And if that describes you, you can surrender your life to the good shepherd. The work that he has done on the cross, dying so that he would make a payment for our sin, that can be you this morning. You can surrender your life to him. Or maybe for you, believer, it involves you confessing some areas in your life where you've not been worshiping him truly through obedience, through rejoicing, through reverence. However the Lord is dealing with you this morning, I want to invite you to sing praise to our great God. Worship him and rejoice in him. Let us pray. Father, we've asked this morning that by your Holy Spirit you would speak to us. And I pray, God, that you would now give us the strength to respond as you are leading. Let us not harden our hearts as the children of Israel at Meribah and Massa when they tested you and asked, where is God in our midst? But Lord, we know that you're the good shepherd who leads us. You're always with us. You don't just watch us walk through things. You lead us through pastures. Oh, God, you lead us to good places. And though it's hard for us to see those good places sometimes, help us, God, teach us to, to learn how to worship you because of the confidence that we have in you, not because of the circumstances of our lives. And so, Lord, we come this morning bringing our worship before you, and we ask that you would be exalted this day. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand this morning?